0: What's up, PGF Nation? Before we jump into the episode, gotta let you guys know, Alex and I had a lot to cover in this one, and it went longer than expected, so we decided to cut this episode into two parts. This is part one, of course, and part two of this episode will drop tomorrow. So if you're not already subscribed, make sure you do so so you get that notification when part two drops. Welcome to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. This is Pint Glass Football, drink beer, talk NFL and college football. I'm your host, Brad Fowler, and McKenzie Brewing is the official beer of Pint Glass Football. Follow them at McKenzie Brewing. Follow us at pintglassfootball.com. If you're new to the show... Hit that subscribe button. What's up, PGF Nation? We've got another great show today. Some Pro Bowl players aren't going to minicamp. Deion Sanders is making headlines again. DeAndre Hopkins visits the Patriots and Titans. We'll draft the top eight wide receivers in the NFL and play a new game called Overrated or Underrated plus draft grades for the nfc west and a lot more to get to today but joining me to break it all down my co-host alex higdon alex what is going on
1: hey what's up brad guess what it's finally over nba postseason nba finals over congratulations denver now we are here to take you through the summer until we get to football (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, man, it's funny. I know we kind of took a shot at the NBA last week. And I mean, let's just call it what it was. It was a boring series. It's over. All the people that might have been paying attention to that time to start talking football again. If you haven't been joining us time to join us time to start looking ahead to the season because we are getting closer. I know it's a long ways out. But there's still a lot of news and a lot going on and a lot to get to because we've got mini camps, Alex, and there's some big name players that aren't attending, some guys that we need to talk about here. Let's start with Stephon Diggs, not at Bill's mandatory mini camp. Head coach Sean McDermott said, quote, he's very concerned. How concerned are you?
1: I'm not that concerned because we know this literally cannot be a money issue. Because that would, that would more than likely be the number one thing that we, we would be looking at. We know that the Bills redid his contract automatically, so we know it's not money. I don't know if there's something internal going on or it's just the fact that Stefan Diggs doesn't need to be there and it's a slow news week. So we're just focused on something that we really don't need to be focused on.
0: Yeah, and I I agree with you completely. I think the one thing that's interesting about this particular story was just that quote that coach Sean McDermott said he was very concerned. I think that's the main reason why this is getting traction right now. Normally, when something like this happens, the coach, people in the organization, they're usually quick to try to kind of diffuse the talk about a player being absent. Usually they're quick to say, oh, you know, everything's all right. They're trying to smooth it over. You know, he's working out at home like we'll see him soon. We're not really hearing that. And the fact that he literally made the statement very concerned, I think, is a little bit of a red flag here. I I doubt that this is going to be a situation going forward, but I think it's something to keep an eye on. Saquon Barkley is also a big-name player that's not going to join the New York Giants this week for mandatory minicamp. And I think this, Alex, does have to do with money. That seems to be the story here because Barkley told ESPN that he hasn't signed the franchise tag offer that the Giants used on him earlier this year, which prohibits Barkley from attending camp this week. Now, the Giants used a non-exclusive franchise tag on Barkley in March, worth over $10 million. Also, according to ESPN, Barkley turned down a deal from the Giants that would have been worth close to $14 million per season earlier this year. To me, that's very noteworthy for him to turn down that number because Barkley said he would consider sitting out. What do you make of this story? What do you make of this situation with Saquon Barkley and the Giants?
1: It's an odd situation. I mean, Saquon, technically, we need to really look at that the Giants bet on you, not from the draft perspective, but from your injury perspective and from the position that you actually play. Most teams may not opt for that fifth year when things that look so bleak early on to say that we don't want to commit anything to this person so i think there's a little bit of a cat and mouse game we don't know what the real numbers are i mean saquon is a professional so he's saying what needs to be said if i'm not mistaken he's still represented by rock nation so i'm sure everybody's on top of it. everybody's within communication i saw a link up, up something popped up on my phone literally right before we started recording That said the giants are getting tight-lipped so we know This information may not be coming from anything that's out in the media may not be coming from Saquon's side. So that tends to lead that maybe it's coming from the Giants' side. And that's typically not how the Giants play. They're usually more of a buttoned-up franchise. I kind of understand both sides. Obviously, Saquon understanding his mortality rate as a running back. And the Giants also understanding that from a business perspective. So I just think they're at a stalemate. And I wouldn't be surprised that if it's not about money, it's more about years if anything and if it's not about years then it's obviously about the money so i'm sure specifically if i now that i think about it, it's probably just talking about the guaranteed money and where he slots in that and outside of Derrick Henry I, i'm not, i don't know what the number i actually don't even know what the number should be for Saquon i just don't think it should be anything high and i don't and honestly i don't think it should be anywhere over 3 years we're going to see who's going to fold in this situation but i do think the giants made a mistake by not going and addressing the situation in the draft knowing that this was going to be a looming situation no matter what even if he did sign the one-year tender it would just be for one year so hopefully they do have a backup in place
0: yeah I think the key point you made there was not addressing it in the draft and even though I was really high on their draft I think they nailed their picks I thought it was a very very good draft by the Giants I think taking a running back maybe in those first couple rounds might come back or not taking one, I should say, might come back to haunt them because there is a good chance that this gets ugly, especially when you've got him turning down a $14 million offer. I'm shocked that the Giants even offered that much for a running back who's had injury problems. And this guy was the second overall pick in the draft. So it's not like he hasn't made a good amount of money already. It's not like he was a mid-round pick who's really wanting to get paid because he's overproduced. He's made $38 million through his five-year NFL career, and he's missed 21 games because of injury. He's also played like garbage in probably another eight or so of those games because he was trying to get back on the field after an injury and just quite frankly looked like crap. I mean, he's a great player when he's healthy, but that's the key. He just gets hurt too much, and running backs, especially injury-prone ones who have already been in the NFL five years, They just aren't worth signing to any type of long-term deal. So I'm with you. Three years would be the absolute max that I would offer him if I'm the New York Giants. And there's no way in hell I'm giving him anywhere close to the 15 plus million per year that apparently, now according to these reports that he's looking for, if he wants to sit out, which he said he might consider doing, go ask Le'Veon Bell how that worked out. So, Alex, Deion Sanders and Colorado are making big headlines here. They've been one of, if not the biggest offseason story in college football. Deion Sanders has used the transfer portal to almost completely flip this Colorado roster. Boulder has seen an unmatched number of transfers this offseason. 43 scholarship players from Deion Sanders' Colorado team have entered the transfer portal since their spring game. According to 24-7 sports rankings, Colorado has the nation's number one transfer portal class in 2023. So he is bringing in a lot of new talent, a lot of high-end talent to this program. Sanders was really up front about pushing out guys that he didn't need around. He took over, well, maybe the worst program in the entire Power Five. And like I said, he was open about the changes that he was going to make. But some coaches aren't happy about the way he's used the transfer portal, especially pit head coach Pat Narduzzi. He said, quote, that's not the way it's meant to be. That's not what the rule intended to be. It was not to overhaul your roster. Now he's speaking of the transfer portal rule, of course. Deion Sanders responded by saying, quote, he is not mad at me. He's mad at the situation in football now that allowed his best player to leave a year ago. He's not mad at me. He's using me to shoot bullets at another coach who he has an issue with. I don't know who he is. If he walked in here right now, I wouldn't know him. First off, he's talking about Jordan Addison leaving for USC and Lincoln Riley last year. Second off, that last part where he says, I don't know who he is, it's just hilarious.
1: Yeah, I, I mean I agree with Dion here. I, I wholeheartedly agree with Dion here. He first off, Dion has a target on his back. He and his team have a target on their back. He has to flip this team. One, because he needs to win, and he needs to win fast, and he's also trying to get his son into the league. So he wants to put the best team around his son. Now you're going to be moving into areas, excuse me, playing in areas where people are going to see you and you are Deion Sanders, but can you can you now coach on this level? Jackson State, to a lot of people, was cute in what he did, even though what he did was incredible. However, to most of the masses, they're looking at that with one eye open, one eye closed. They're not sure how to really evaluate what they saw at Jackson State. Now on this level, when he's got to play Oregon, when he's got to play Washington State, USC, UCLA, how he does against those teams is going to matter when he walks into some five-star recruits' living room and talks to their parents and talks to their kids and say, hey, come to Colorado, over Ohio State, over Michigan, over USC, over UCLA. He's now competing at a different level. So, of course, he should flip the team. And he's absolutely right the way he phrased it. I think he if it's not him, whoever the PR person is that is assisting him and responding, that was the perfect response. He's not mad at me. He's mad at the system. I just happen to be the person that's using the system in such a way. So he's using me and my name and getting it out there. Cause once you say my name it's going to grab traction, he understands that he's very self-aware of who he is as Deion Sanders, separate from being Deion Sanders, the coach. And he's also aware of being Deion Sanders, the head coach of Colorado. So I thought his response was appropriate. And of course, because you use my name, I have to take a parting shot by saying, if you walked in here right now, I wouldn't know you. I know it may feel slight. and It may, to the coaches around, it may seem like a slight. But once you start attacking him, what do you expect him to do? He just got here. He's with a 1-10 in 10 team. I think they were 1-12 in 12 team they were last year. He's trying to fix it. Why are you taking shots at somebody that's at the bottom? Are you already nervous? Like, what is the problem exactly? So I thought the response was appropriate, and I have no problem with what Deion said.
0: I don't either. I completely agree with you. And Dion's right. Pat Narduzzi was complaining about the transfer portal last year when Jordan Addison left for USC. He was making all kinds of headlines in the media complaining about it then because a guy like Lincoln Riley was using the transfer portal to flip USC's roster and mold it around the team that he wants to have there we act like Deion Sanders is the only guy doing this. Look, these are the rules. This is the change that's happened in college football in recent years. The transfer portal has changed the game a lot like NIL has, and Deion is using it to shape his team how he wants it. Guys like Pat Narduzzi, who's an old school coach, really just has an issue with it because he's not able to attract the level of players that a guy like Lincoln Riley and a guy like Deion Sanders can. And it's Affecting his program. And some of these coaches are going to have to adjust. That's just the way it is. It's the new landscape of college football. And I don't have a problem with it at all. I agree with everything you just said. Detroit Lions head coach Dan Campbell made some headlines when talking about Jared Goff recently in the media. He said his confidence has really grown, he's a better quarterback than he was in LA, in my opinion we've come light years ahead of where he was two years ago when we started teaching him protections. Alex, is this just a coach talking up his guy or do you think golf really is better than he was in LA? I think there's
1: this, this is twofold here and we can talk about it. And and this really goes for all sports. There's a different, there's a, there's a reason we hold the Michael Jordans, the Kobe Bryant's the Tom Brady's in such high regard. It's because when the lights shine the brightest, they perform. Sometimes it's different for those who can't stand up when the light is shining bright on them. And what I mean by that is playing in L.A. we just use Kobe Bryant. There's a difference when some people leave this town and go other places where it becomes obscure and there's not a lot expected. You're a little bit more comfortable The media is not on you every single day. A question is not being your your play is not in question every single day. Things are a little bit more relaxed because the expectation is so low. You can now hone in and focus on. That's why it takes a special type of player to play in a New York, to play in Chicago, to play in a Philly, to play in LA, because those medias, those media markets are hyenas and they will jump on you. And if you're not prepared, you can't handle it. And they would chew you up and spit you out with no problem. And I think what we've seen with Jared Goff is he's been able to take a moment, take a step back, breathe, and then move forward. And when you're in those towns, there is no time to do any of that. And I think that's what happened here. There was time to really, because he was very specific. To point out, talking about coverages and things like that, and excuse me, protections, that's something that's very specific. That they he must have noticed that he did not have coming from the Rams to them that he saw him grow with from the first year they had him to the second year. They had him very specific wording there. That's that's almost nerd talk because protections. I'm sure most people who who are casual football fans had to go look up. What do you mean protections? They don't even know what that means. So they're being, he's being very specific, which could possibly be true. So I think it's just the fact that it's Detroit. Sorry, all Detroit Lions fans, but that is a city that has been, Underachieving for years. They've been an underachieving team all my entire life. I think they've only made the playoffs twice, if I'm not mistaken. Excuse me, probably maybe about five times in the 47 years that I've been alive. So there's a lot to be said for going to a little bit slower market, being able to take a beat, and then being able to focus, hone in, and concentrate without the media, without other players, without the fans in your social media comments or wherever they are, when they see you out and you're out at a restaurant in LA and you're doing things and they're not winning, they're blaming you. Now he gets to take a beat and really just hone in focus and do his job. And I think that's what we're seeing now from, I don't want to say he's necessarily a better quarterback. I think he was fine in, in, in LA and I'll close with this. If we remember that Patriots Super Bowl. He threw a strike to some guy named Brandon Cooks and hit him right in the breadbasket. Whether you want to call it a great play by the defender or you want to call it Brandon Cooks dropping it. That was the difference in the game. So it's not like he underperformed. It's just that he underperformed or from the likes of being in the town like LA, which is why they they felt the need to move off of him because they knew they had a short window to make this happen and why they went and got Matt Stafford and then eventually won it. So I think, this worked out both for, worked out best for both teams, and it's working out great for Jared Goff.
0: I think Jared Goff lost some confidence in L.A., a former number one pick. We saw how talented he was coming out of college, but he's a limited player. He doesn't have the ceiling of a guy like Stafford or some of these other elite quarterbacks. I think the Lions, though, have done a great job building him up and building a solid offense around him and a system that utilizes his strengths. I think as great as Sean McVay is, I think he saw those limitations in his game and finally just had enough and said, you know what? I need somebody better. I think the Lions saw it as an opportunity to take a guy and shape their system around him. I think sometimes we have to remember that not everyone is Justin Herbert or Joe Burrow and they just start tearing it up the minute they enter the NFL. A lot of guys need time to develop and most quarterbacks need the right pieces around them to succeed. Hey, PGF Nation, are you tired of the same old bland food at your tailgate parties? Well, let me tell you about my friends at the Tailgate Foodie, the seasoning and barbecue sauce company that specializes in elevating your tailgate and backyard cooking game. With their unique blend of spices and sauces, the Tailgate Foodie will take your taste buds on a flavor journey that you won't forget. Use code PINTGLASSFOODIE 15% for 15% off your first order at the tailgatefoodie.com. So reports state that Vikings pass rusher Daniel Hunter is planning to skip mandatory minicamp. He's entering the final year of a contract and wants a new deal. Now he's coming off a big year. He had 10 and a half sacks. And what's really impressive about the 10 and a half sacks, Alex, is he went from going from a 4-3 defensive end to a 3-4 outside linebacker. I don't know if enough people have talked about just how tough of a transition that can be. And for him to have that kind of an instant impact really just tells you how special a player this guy is. Now, according to Jeremy Fowler of ESPN, the Vikings would want at least a second round pick, potentially be looking for a first rounder or multiple picks. I think the Vikings, it sounds like they'd like to keep him, but not at that price tag. They're going to be looking to move this guy. This is a story in this team. I think we were ahead of the curve here, Alex. Several weeks ago, we started talking about the Vikings and how this team might just be quietly rebuilding. I think we predicted this. We saw this coming. I think it continues in Minnesota with this story.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, again, I just want to reiterate, we did talk about this first. I'm sure maybe there were some other outlets, but we were very early on this. Specifically, all three players, Zadarius, Dalvin Cook, and Daniil Hunter. So I will say this, you're absolutely right. Moving from defensive and outside linebacker and still producing 10 and a half sacks and 12 tackles for losses. I mean, that means this this guy is a player and you can use him all over the field. And he's only 28 years old. So we have to take that into consideration. This is a position, should you stay healthy, this is a long-term position where a player can play well into his 30s and still be productive he's generally been healthy his entire career with the exception of 2021 and even then he can he had six sacks and seven games and then came back this year and a full season fully healthy and had 10 and a half playing a brand new position so there's something to be said for that now the multiple picks we have to be very clear you know there's i i call a lot of Fans and people that look at things when they talk about trades, they, they kind of use a Madden calculator, quote unquote, as opposed to a realistic calculator. Like this is a person that if there is two picks that it costs, I mean, we're talking about perhaps maybe a two and a six. Now, if you're a Super Bowl bubble team, then I wouldn't mind giving up perhaps maybe a three and a five, a two and a four or something like that, because this guy could be the difference in those picks for a play of this magnitude. To the point that you made earlier and that you've been making, when we first started talking about this, yes, the Vikings are quietly rebuilding, at least defensively. Offensively, they seem to be on track, but defensively, they are definitely 100% rebuilding.
0: The XFL reportedly lost $60 million this season, and it has me wondering, why wouldn't the NFL partner with the XFL and or the USFL and help these leagues? because these leagues ultimately are helping the NFL, they're helping the sport of football. Now, 60 million dollars is a lot of money to almost any business. I get that, but it's not a lot of money to the NFL. Quite frankly, it's pocket change. So, why not step in and get involved? Now, with that being said, according to Jabari Young of Forbes.com, for 2024, Young reports that the XFL projects revenue of 100 million dollars with 20 million Coming from ESPN, lots of businesses operate at a loss when starting out, sometimes for several years before they can even become cash flow positive. I really hope that's the case for the XFL.
1: Yeah. I mean, in the restaurant business, you don't turn You're hoping to break even within the first five years, By, by excuse me, by year five, before you start to actually, to actually see a return on the investment that you made. So this is what it is, and the numbers are gaudy. Because when you say 60 million, it's not like using sixty thousand or 60 million. That is a lot of money. so they're currently operating in the red for the most part. But if you stay diligent, you possibly will and should see a return because it is football. And to your question, or to the point that you were making about the NFL joining forces with them, I think the first thing is the apprehension comes because we are so massive. And college is giving us so many players on a year in a year out basis. We need you, but we don't need you immediately. And right now in 2023. However, what it does bold is we will sit and partner with you because they did partner with them and trying out new rules in the league and the referees and everything and such. The other part is when you go into business and you, you want to join forces or a company wants to acquire another company, or you want to do business with another company, a company wants to see projections and believe in those projections. And then I'm sure the rock has been able to have some of those meetings. I'm pretty sure like, like into what we probably saw on ballers when he kept trying to maneuver around to get his own team, when they were, I believe they're trying to move to Vegas or LA at the time, kind of the point man trying to make that happen. He had to prepare a deck that everybody believed in. That's the other part of it as well, because the NFL is like, whether we have you or not, we don't need you. We are, we're a behemoth by ourselves. However, if you start to turn a profit and it starts to make sense, then we would partner. And then the other part of that is, how does that work with pension? How does that work with healthcare? There are all these things that need to be figured out. These little small things that we may not be thinking about on the top level that those with that get involved when you start talking about acquiring acquiring a uh, company or working with another company, these other things that you have to figure out no different than when the Gatorade bought the D-League from the NBA. They had made it a profitable, they had made it something, so the G, it now became the D-League to the G-League simply because they were able to meet with Gatorade having a long-term partnership with Gatorade and be able to pull them in. And maybe perhaps you can extend something here as well and saying, well, as the NFL, we won't do it, but you know what we'll do? We will introduce you to Gatorade, we'll introduce you to Powerade, we'll introduce you to Under Armour, and so on and so forth, and maybe that can in- infuse your league with some money and that way you can continue going on and we can continue the partnership until we reach a point where we feel comfortable stepping in and then acquiring you completely or partnering with you completely. Or it becomes a situation like the G League where several of the NFL teams buy these teams and they become subsequent farm teams that they can put more players on as opposed to carrying six, I believe it's up to six practice squad players, now you can really feel the whole team that can go play. And now you have your pick of the litter whenever you see fit that you can pull up to your team and they're already in your system in a sense. So I think there's a lot of avenues here, but I think it's still fresh after, I mean, technically the XFL went belly up and had to be sold. So it it already leaves a bad taste in owner's mouth. So with the rock at the helm, let's see what they can do. And I think it's just it, it just started, so there's time. Let's see where we are four to five years from now
0: your comparison to the G league in the NBA, I think would be the ideal model for the XFL. And I think that's actually the, been the plan all along because I know the rock has had meetings with Roger Goodell and the NFL and said to them, basically not quote this, but basically had told him, look, we're not trying to get in your way. We're not trying to compete with you. I think like you mentioned a farm type system, uh, where you can have these guys that are available to these other NFL teams. A lot of interesting points there. I think the one other point that I'll make is the one thing I could see maybe happening before any of those other things that we talked about as far as acquiring or, or partnering. I think the XFL and USFL might have to come together and create a combined league. I think that might be the more likely solution. in the Agreed. Green. If you had those two leagues combined, now you have more teams you have more games. You can play a longer season in the offseason where the hardcore fans like you, like me, the enthusiast who really love the game, the people who listen to this podcast can really enjoy some good football, some high-level football in the offseason. And those those combined, and now you have something here and you're not competing against each other. I think that might be a realistic option as well. Buda Baker reports for Cardinals mandatory minicamp even after making trade requests earlier this year. We talked about this several weeks ago, Alex, when the news broke that Buda Baker was requesting a trade from the Cardinals. But now here he is at minicamp. Arizona has a new leadership regime here. And I think Baker decided that he wanted to move on. And I don't blame him for that. But for him to report to mandatory minicamp despite that? is exactly alex why he's one of my favorite players in the nfl
1: yeah absolutely i mean little a little bit uh light in the pants as i'd like to say but this guy leader everything that you want in your locker room i'm i'm hoping some team comes to save (laughs) comes to save him from where he is in arizona and i mean i am a raiders fan we suck in our defensive backfield a Move that I would make because you need leadership in that backfield. You have Max Crosby up front. You don't have anybody in defensive backfield. You didn't address it really too much in the, in the offseason or in the draft. The Raiders. I, I don't know why you wouldn't make this move. I would absolutely be looking at this and several other teams as well. Should be looking at this. This is this guy is a hard nosed leader. He shows up. He's whether he's playing or not playing. Even though there he's at sometimes he's been hurt. But go somebody please go rescue Buda Baker from the Cardinals. And someone also rescue Isaiah Simmons. But and, and I'll and I'll close out there.
0: <laughs> uh yeah. I it does kind of feel like this team is well, like I said, there's new leadership and there's been a lot of turnover here for the Arizona Cardinals. I think they're looking to rebuild, obviously, and unloading a guy like this would make sense but it sounds like they are having some open communication between him and the team management, so maybe they find a way to smooth this out. I just think that it really shows a lot about his character and his work ethic and what kind of player he is as a leader, especially, and you alluded to that, Alex, and that's why I brought this story up. Dalvin Cook has been released by the Minnesota Vikings on Friday, has not generated the expected interest, I think, in the open market It's been really quiet so far, Alex. He was selected to his fourth straight Pro Bowl last season after rushing for over 1,100 yards and eight touchdowns. Now, even though he had a good year, the advanced analytics tell us that he's not the player he was a few years ago. What would be a good fit for Dalvin Cook?
1: Cowboys, immediately. We've been hearing about the rumors about bringing back Zeke. If you have an opportunity to get this guy, who's a little bit more spry, to mix him in with Tony Pollard, go get this guy. You are currently within the quote-unquote Super Bowl bubble because you can be a playoff team, so we will put you in the bubble. You have an opportunity here. Go do it. Your defense your defense is ascending right now with Micah Parsons and the way you have it set up, and now you have Stefan Gilmore. So it looks like your defense is set. The only missing piece right here is perhaps maybe one another offensive lineman, and you already addressed the wide receiver situation, With Brandon Cooks, go. And you also, excuse me, you also have Michael Gallup now a year removed from injury. So now you have a three headed monster at wide receiver. The only thing you're missing right now is the running back. Go get Dalvin Cook. That is my number one team for Dalvin Cook to go to with a bullet.
0: Yeah, I think it's a great fit. It makes so much sense on paper, especially when you pair him up with a guy like Tony Pollard. I think it's the perfect combination, a big physical between the tackles runner. Combine him with the quicker, more explosive Pollard. I think that would be a really nice tandem in Dallas as well. Apparently, the New England Patriots have interest in DeAndre Hopkins, and they're going to host him this week, according to ESPN's Mike Reese, who also believes that the Pats are looking to add him on a one-year deal. The Titans also recently had Hopkins in the building and are also making a big push to sign him, What do you make of these teams showing so much interest in DeAndre Hopkins?
1: I think it just shows the type of player that we always knew that he was. There are some questions about work ethic in terms of practicing, specifically practicing. And in New England, we know it doesn't matter if you are the greatest of all time, you will practice just as hard as the 53rd man on the roster. And if he isn't willing to conform to that, I don't know how that would work in New England. However, since we're only talking about two teams, if I'm DeAndre Hopkins, I would want to fall in line because I don't want to go to the Titans because I don't even know who's going to be the Titans quarterback tomorrow or rather in the next minute or so because we don't know where they're going. You would want to be with the championship team. You've played in obscurity for a very long time in Arizona as well as in in Houston as well for the most part. Why not go somewhere where you can win? And with Bill O'Brien there, Now with Mac Jones, we're going to see a revamped offense. They have other receivers there. We know they're going to play great defense. We know they're going to run the ball. You're going to get your opportunities where they see fit, and you can go be part of perhaps something special if we're only talking about these two teams right now. So, DeAndre, if I'm you, I don't even leave New England, if I'm not mistaken. I've seen him with a two-day meeting set up with the Patriots. I'm not leaving there. I'm actually going to – Airbnb, the house next to Bill Belichick's and cut his lawn so I can get signed there because as it stands right now, you don't have any real true blue suitors outside of these two teams and you waited a while to even get this far. Don't leave New England without a contract if I'm if I'm DeAndre Hopkins.
0: Yeah, I think it'd be a great situation. I think Bill O'Brien, the familiarity there is definitely interesting And like you said, going to a place like New England, the stability of that franchise, the coaching. Mac Jones might not be a great quarterback, but a solid quarterback. I think that we can say a potential bounce back year for him. If you give him a guy like DeAndre Hopkins, I'm going to be even more bullish on a guy like Mac Jones and with Bill O'Brien calling the plays because now you've got a legit number one. And that's really been a problem for New England for, quite frankly, a long time solidifying that wide receiver room and having a big time player like him, I think would be huge for the Patriots in this offense. And I'm with you. If I am him, I get a deal done. All right. We did it last week. We're going to keep it going this week. Cause it was a lot of fun. We're going to do another draft. We're going to draft the top eight wide receivers for 2023. Alex, once again, I'm going to let you kick this off. Who are you taking number one at wide receiver?
1: Number one with a bullet, no questions asked Devontae Adams. I've wa- we've all watched him, but again, being a Raider fan and watching him up front, I've literally watched every last one of his to- all I think he had about 200 talks. I looked at all of them. He's literally open every single time. And I'm not and I'm not joking. I watched this man put Patrick Surtain, probably I think we I had we picked him last week. I had him as my number one DB. I watched him put this man in the spin cycle. He went left and Patrick Chetain went right with the precise foot movement, the precise in and out of the cuts, the smooth movement. You can't watch his hips, as a lot of DBs are taught, to watch the hips to kind of tell with. It does not matter what you're doing. This man is literally 7-Eleven. He is open 24-7. That is my number one pick.
0: I was curious which route you were going to go there. I love the pick. Devontae Adams I mean this guy's just been such a consistent player in this league now for several years and I think the year in Vegas last season really solidified just how great this guy is there was a lot of people a lot of analysts a lot of people in the media that thought we would see a dip from him after leaving a guy like Aaron Rodgers who we know is one of the greatest of all time nothing against Derek Carr Derek Carr is a solid quarterback but he's Nowhere near the peak of what Aaron Rodgers was, especially in some of those recent MVP seasons. And all Adams did was continue to thrive with a lot of dysfunction around him, no less. Over 1,500 yards last year, caught 100 balls, 14 touchdowns. I mean, the guy was an absolute stud. I love that pick. That leaves the door open for me to take, oh man, this is tough. There are a few guys here at the top of this list that I'm really thinking about I'm going back and forth on a couple guys that played at LSU. You probably know who I'm thinking here, but I'm going to go Jamar Chase of the Cincinnati Bengals with the second pick here. Now, Jamar Chase didn't quite have as great of a season as his rookie year, but you talk about a guy who is just a do-it-all player, can run every route on the route tree, dominates underneath, intermediate, deep balls, And I think the one thing that I really, really like about Jamar Chase's game compared to some of these other top-end wide receivers is the physicality that he brings to the position. That's it, guys, for part one. You're going to have to check out part two to hear the rest of who we drafted as the top eight wide receivers in the NFL. Plus, in part two, we'll play a game of overrated, underrated, where I ask Alex, is this player, coach, etc., over or underrated? And we give out draft grades for the NFC West, where one team absolutely crushed the draft, and some teams in that division got our lowest grades yet. So be sure to check out part two tomorrow.